the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hosted by Wendy West. Indeed. <laughs> Wouldn't do it without you. Thank you. But you did do something without me recently. I did. And actually, I did. it was a huge gift to me. Oh, it was a gift. Yes, I know what you're talking <laughs> about. Yes, indeed. Yes. Share. Share with the group. Well, we do an annual little family ski trip. Mm -hmm. Nothing major, but to little, you know, family places. We'll, we used to go to a fun place in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. uh, which has the memory of my breaking my femur. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. on a major ski jump, uh, which I don't do anymore. I've, I've, my big air days are behind me. Uh, but we still love to ski, and our kids love to ski, so we went to visit some friends out in western Maryland for the first time uh, to ski at a place called Wisp. Uh, and they have uh, our friends have a house out there, so we stayed with them. But Wendy, you stayed home and had a little retreat. I did. Just mom time, alone time. Maybe you didn't even consider yourself mom <laughs> like, I guess I was trying to say mom downtime or downtime for mom. Right. Is that what I was trying to say? Well, it was it was a retreat for me. That was a real blessing. Thank you. But Indeed. Tell us. It's much oh, more yeah, interesting this, to hear about your Well, trip. I don't know. I don't know. You, you went on your own interior ski trip. That's right. Thank you, Lord. And for both of us, there was bright sunshine, mm. glorious weather, warm. Mm -hmm. I love spring skiing. I love skiing in warm weather. I was skiing in shorts and a t-shirt. There was still plenty of snow. Uh, it was just, it was a little taste of heaven for me. Mm -hmm. I know heaven is real because there are ski days like that. That's right. And I remember when you were leaving, I just said a prayer for you to just have a heart open to the blessings the Lord wants to give you through this ski trip. And I know. And they came. And what's going on with the TOB Institute? We have some really exciting things on the horizon. Check out all the links in the show notes for registration for our virtual conference. We already have several thousand people signed up. That's free. That's going to be taking place at uh, the end of April, April 30th to May 2nd. Check out the link there. We have a Theology of the Body Level 1 course coming up online. Check out the link for that. And... Um, I don't think registration is quite open yet for this, but in May, just to get people ready, it's going to be good. <laughs> my highlight of my whole teaching career was teaching the course on the Blessed Mother uh, through the lens of Theology of the Body, and I taught it last October. We filmed it, and we're going to be offering that in May online as well. I think there's probably information on the link there to learn more about it, even if the registration is not yet open. Mm -hmm. Should we begin with a question from one of our patrons? Yes, you may remember. Our first question from now on is coming from a patron. Yes. Uh, these are the people who are supporting our work on a monthly basis. And in return, we give lots of benefits exclusive to our patrons, ongoing formation, um, retreats throughout the year, and other goodies. You can check out the link on that to learn more. So what is our first question from our patron? Andrea has a question. She says, I am really grateful for this teaching on Theology of the Body and for your ministry. 
You're spreading very good news. Everything has started to make sense in my life. Wow, 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 wow. That's so beautiful to hear. I just want to pause there for a minute mm. and praise God for the grace in Andrea's life. It really does. When you when you put on these glasses that St. John Paul II has given us, which is nothing really other than the view of the gospel. That's what theology of the body is. It's just the view of it's viewing the world through the lens of the incarnation. Theology of the body, that's what it is. So she's seeing that. It's so encouraging to hear. Yes. Her question is, if we are reborn, redeemed, regenerated, why must our bodies die? No! Oh! What is the theology of our dead bodies? Oh! Oh! Yeah, I'm, I'm groaning because these questions go so deep. They take us to the very heart of the gospel itself. Our faith, St. Paul tells us, is faith in the resurrection of the body. If Christ's body was not raised from the dead, our faith is in vain, St. Paul tells us. But here's, here's the, the rub, here's the, 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 the difficulty. To be resurrected, you have to die. Mm. Uh, the, the question is, the fact that we die is not a, a mark against our redemption. Andrea says, if we've already been redeemed, if we've already been regenerated, why do we have to die? We have to die because sin came into the world. That's why we have to die. Uh, the good news is that redemption and resurrection is real, but how does the Redeemer redeem us? He redeems us not by erasing our death, but by taking it on himself, passing through it himself, and coming out the other side of it into a regenerated, resurrected, new creation. And he says, follow me. It's right at the beginning of, of Holy Week. It always strikes me when, when we have these readings at the beginning of Holy Week where Jesus says, I must go to Jerusalem where I will suffer greatly, be rejected, and be killed. And then he says, follow me. Mm. This is the pathway of our redemption. It's not, okay, I'll say it again, it's not the erasing of death. It's the walking through death into resurrected life. And here we can talk about the humility of God. We fell out of pride, right? We wanted to raise ourselves to the level of God because we didn't believe that God really loved us. We didn't believe that God really wanted to satisfy the desires of our hearts. So we got this idea that uh, living life apart from God would bring us what we really wanted, which is nonsense because God is our origin, our, our destiny. It is in him that we live and move and have our being. Uh, to, to separate ourselves from the very source of ourselves, to separate our lives from the very source of life, which is what sin does, equals death. It's not that God said, if you disobey me, I will kill you because I'll be so mad at you. Right. It's rather that death is the natural consequence of using our freedom to separate ourselves 
from the source of our life. It's like unplugging a light. If you mm. unplug the light, it will go out because it's disconnected from the source of its lightness, right? From its electricity. Lightness. Well, it's a new, you know what I mean. Unplug the light and it's not on anymore. Unplug ourselves from our source and we die. And that was because of our pride. We wanted to, we wanted to be God. Mm. We didn't believe God wanted to give us what we wanted, so we wanted to be our own gods without God, apart from God, as the Catechism puts it. That's the very definition of pride. God has a remarkable way of saving us from our pride by humbling himself. Wow. And, and look at the word humility, hum humble, humility. It comes from the word hummus, which means earth. Mm. God literally humbles himself by coming to earth, by, by becoming human, a creature of the earth, hummus, humility. Uh, the incarnation is God's humiliation, uh, not in the sense that he loses his dignity or he gets robbed of it, but humiliation in the sense of he's coming into the hummus of the earth. He becomes one of us. He becomes human, humility, hummus, earthly. Hmm. He, the God, the, the, the God, this is Pope Paul VI, St. Paul VI. He said at the end of the Second Vatican Council, in Christianity, uh, we discover the religion of the God who becomes man in response to the man who wanted to become God. Mm. This, is, this is the astounding humility of our God. And the humiliation goes the whole way unto death. Death is ultimate humiliation, returning to hummus, the earth, right? Mm. This is astounding humility. Jesus says, learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. How astounding that God redeems us from our pride by humiliating himself unto death, taking on flesh, hummus, and returning in to, to, to death, I mean, returning into the grave. He, I was going to say returning to dust, as the expression goes, but his body did not know corruption. It knew death, but it did not know corruption. And this is our hope. Even though our bodies will know corruption, we will return to dust. As we die in Christ and with Christ, as St. Paul says, do you not know you've been baptized into his death? Why, why, why baptized into his death? Because if we are baptized into his death, we will also be baptized into his resurrection. If we are willing to die with him, we will rise with him. The penalty is, of death is not erased. It's absorbed by the God who loves us despite our disobedience, despite our sin. He loves us. He, he conquers death by absorbing death, comes out the other side, and he says, follow me. So the follow me part is not just into his death. The follow me part is fulfilled in the resurrection. That's our hope. That's the ultimate theology of our body is not death. Uh, the final word, John Paul II says, the final word of the body is not death. The final word of the body is life, resurrection, resurrection of the body. This is the ultimate theology of the body, resurrection. I really appreciate what you're saying, uh, your reflection on the pride of the fall and the humiliation of the incarnation is 
a beautiful theological reflection. And that question, what's the theology of our dead bodies? Yeah. I feel like you're really getting at that with that um, just juxtaposition of the pride of original sin and the humility of Christ who became human to save us. Um, and I, I feel like saying it's okay. It's not a bad thing that we don't like death. You yeah, know? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan. No. Don't like it. Don't like it. And it's very natural to our humanity to resist it, to fear it. Jesus experienced that yeah. in the garden. And that experience is not one of our kind of lack of being fully redeemed. We're, we're drawing close to the Lord in our experience of that if we... You know, are uniting ourselves yes, to yes. the Lord. Um, so it's not a wrong thing, but it is a beautiful theology to recognize that herein lies, like it's like the the painful but beautiful remedy for having defied God in our hearts to really unite ourselves and surrender to Him, even in death. And I know in in John chapter six, the Lord assures us. Even if we die, yes. we will have life. We will through have him. life through him. Um, so I, I just found that very encouraging, and I, I love the insight. Yeah, I would just summarize it as follows: the theology of the dead body is this: humiliation is the way. This is the paradox of it all: the humiliation of the body, meaning returning to hummus, returning to dust. The humiliation of the body is the way to the glorification of the body astounding astounding if that's real if that's real then we don't need oil of olay or plastic surgery to save us from the humiliation of growing old and, and getting gray and getting wrinkles and dying why don't we like to go gray why don't we like to get wrinkles uh, age spots everything else because it's a constant reminder to us that we're dying we don't like that fact and understandably so but if the resurrection is real, if Christianity is real, then we can accept that as our pilgrimage to life. It doesn't mean we won't go through all of our fears, all of our resistances of death, which you and I are aging, Wendy. We're both going gray, and I resist it. I don't like it. Mm. Uh, we're not made to die, but we can trust that the humiliation of the body is the way to the glorification of our bodies. Lord, give us faith. We do believe. Help our unbelief. Andrea, I hope that that was helpful to you. I hope that it had breathed some hope into your heart. And I want to say, Andrea, thank you so much for, for being a patron of this work. We, we can't do it without you. Thank you so much for your support. Our next question is from April. Hello, April. I'm struggling to know how long to hold on to lustful thoughts. I've realized through listening to other women's stories that I have quite a high sex drive for a woman and thoughts about intimacy pop into my head daily. I'm single but dating someone I'm very interested in and my attraction to him as a whole person intensifies my imagination. While I used to hate myself mm, mm. every time this craving for intimacy mm, would pop into oh. my head, I've learned from your podcast it's okay to have for that and look for the deeper good need behind it. Oh, she's listening. Yeah. She's taking it in. 
Yeah. She says, I also notice that I sometimes spend a lot of time dwelling on this. And then I worry maybe I'm engaging sinfully and I should be doing away with it. Where is the place of balance? April, I love your heart. I love your question. I love that you're putting this out there. Uh, let, me, let me make some distinctions here. You said at the start of your question, how long should I hold on to lustful thoughts? You should never hold on to lustful thoughts. Uh, but let's be clear. Merely having thoughts and desires and attractions and yearnings for union and intimacy should not be equated with lust. Mm. Uh, lust does not define our yearning for intimacy, for union, for touch, for affection. Uh, lust is the distortion of the very good desire that God planted deeply in our humanity for love, for union, for intimacy, for affection, for affirmation, for life, for happiness, for joy, for infinite joy. Pope Benedict XVI says that eros, that, that burning yearning we all feel for love, for union, for, for something, uh, he says that that is like a signature inscribed in our humanity with fire by God himself. Mm. So that is not anything you want to eliminate, erase, or hate about yourself. Of course, we must recognize we are fallen, and what really got disordered in our lives through the fall is precisely our yearning for love, is, is eros. Uh, and, and those who are familiar with the podcast or my writings and teachings will know of my, my rocket engine image. Mm -hmm. I like to say God gave us eros to be like the fuel of a rocket that has the, the combustible force. Remember, Benedict says it's inscribed with fire in our humanity by God. This fire has the combustible force to launch us into the eternal, to the infinite. But with original sin, our rocket engines got inverted. And if we follow that, uh, it's going to lead to our destruction. It will crash and burn. So I, I really believe April is right in the heart of that wrestling with the recognition, I have this yearning, but there's also something inverted about it. There's something disordered about it. There's something she knows. I think she has a, a proper conscience in recognizing, I can't simply follow this without some discernment mm -hmm. and without letting grace in here to reorient my desires. As Pope Benedict says so insightfully, in his encyclical, Deus Caritas Est, God is Love, the first half of which provides a beautifully insightful reflection on erotic longing, eros as this signature of God uh, in our humanity. Um, he says, eros, because we're fallen, because of those inverted rocket engines, that's my image, not his, his own words, but because we are fallen, eros cannot simply be fallen without disciplining it. And what does disciplining it mean? It does not mean crushing it. It means directing it mm -hmm. like the discipline of an athlete who, who, who perfects his skill at basketball or, or whatever Olympic sport you might want to pick, pick uh, gymnastics or whatever. Think of all the discipline 
behind that gold medalist mm -hmm. gymnast, right? Years of, of inner, inner sacrifice and struggle and discipline to train the muscle, the muscles to do what they do on that, on that balance beam. Or think of the discipline of a musician and mm -hmm. all that the, the sacrifice and discipline required to make beautiful music. The disciplining of Eros is very similar. It's not the elimination of Eros, it's learning how to direct Eros rightly so that we can make beautiful music, so that we can do backflips on the balance beam without falling off either to the left or to the right. And, and what do I mean there, to the left or to the right? If we fall off to the right, uh, we're going to be rigorists. And we're going to think Eros is bad itself. And we're going to think the only response is to crush my heart, to repress it all. If we follow, fall off the balance beam to the left, we're, we're going to think, oh, Eros is just fine and good, just as I experience it. And, and I'm going to follow it, whatever the inclination is. Well, if we follow that, we're going to end up using people rather than loving people. We need to learn the discipline of the gymnast who can do backflips on that balance beam without falling off on, on either side. And we can learn that way. It's the, the metaphor of like the gymnast is not altogether correct because it's not just human effort. It's not just having some coach who will train you in human effort to, 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 do, to do that. We are aided by grace. It is grace that works the transformation in us. And we need every day of our lives to open our hearts to that grace. And that's what having a, a life of intimate prayer really is, learning every day how to open our hearts to the grace that enables us to do beautiful backflips and stay on the balance beam. Yeah, I, I love that imagery. Um, I'm thinking just a little bit more about April's what she's sharing, there's something, as you were getting excited as I was reading her question, I, I know you were seeing that she's actually in this journey. Mm -hmm. That's what she was revealing by the wording of the question. So April, I thank you for sharing, you know, a few details in your question because it really was, it makes you vulnerable and yet it helps us to be able to illuminate something for other listeners as well, that there isn't just a instant um sort of oh i heard theology of the body it, so now everything is yeah. easy and <laughs> oh great. my word you know? that ain't the truth of it no but i i love the word you used when you said the that there are good desires yes, here and I, yes. I need to look for that instead of that self-hatred that you yes. used to experience so naming the good desires in that um time of sort of imagining especially if it seems like it's kind of getting a little focused on the imaginary story that's kind of playing in your mind to to kind of pause and open yourself to the holy spirit like lord please show me what is the good desire and help me to trust that you have a plan to fulfill all of my good desires mm. and that kind of transferring of the hope in that is in your heart onto the lord and wanting to receive from him his love for you. He loves this woman that has these desires yes, that yes. he's given to yes, all of us, yes. you know, to be um, in that joy of loving. That's, that's a beautiful desire. 
Um, so yeah, that is just my only encouragement to you to stay on that journey that you're already clearly on. Um, for all our listeners, that possibility of instead of hating ourselves, of really believing in the goodness of the God who made us and that he knows we're fallen. He wants to speak to us of our deepest desires and the good that he has in store for us. Amen. Amen. I'm, I'm so glad you brought us back to some of those key points that she had written about. And I'll just say this final thing about the self-hatred we can have because of our desires. I know that terrain of the heart very well. I know I have been really mad at myself for my desires because they've often gotten me in a lot of trouble and caused me and others, including the ones I love, including you, Wendy, they've caused pain. My desires, when they, to, to, the, to the degree that my desires are disordered, they cause me and the people I love pain. And then we can start to hate the desires themselves. We start to blame the desires themselves. We start to blame the rocket itself, so to speak, to use my analogy. The good news of the gospel is that Christ came into the world not to condemn those with inverted rocket engines. He came into the world to redirect our rocket engines to the stars. And when we, when we hate that fire in us, when we hate that yearning in us, we're falling for the, the Manichaean deception. Uh, Manichaeism is this I idea of blaming the body, blaming sexuality itself for the disorder of our hearts. John Paul says that may often be and might always be, he says, a loophole to avoid the requirements of the gospel, which is an opening of our hearts and a letting of grace into our hearts to redirect our desires. And we're back to that discipline. That requires discipline, but a creative discipline. We're, we're all called to make beautiful music. We're all called to sing the Song of Songs. And by God's grace, we can learn step by step how to make beautiful music. And it's a journey for all of us, right? I mean, take a parent who's accompanying his, his or her child through piano lessons, right? father is not going to say, why don't you already know how to play Beethoven mm. when they're just learning how to play Mary Had a Little Lamb? Uh, it's okay where we, wherever we are on the journey, it's okay. Even if you're just starting with Mary Had a Little Lamb, that's better than banging on the piano and making meaningless noise, but keep going, keep playing the piano and, and you'll, you'll make beautiful music. You really will. Mm. Bless you, April. The next question is from an anonymous wife who says, in my country, it is very common for people to decide how many kids you want and then get sterilized once you have them. I thought we were doing great with NFP, but after a scary pregnancy with our fourth baby, we felt so tired, scared, overwhelmed. Without family close by to help, we decided my husband would have a vasectomy. Everybody does it, we thought. As time passes and I learn more about theology of the body, I regret this decision. I know marriage, sex, and babies go together, but now we can't have babies. I feel that maybe we're doing something wrong when my husband wants to be intimate with me. Is it wrong to be intimate now? 
Thank you so much for asking this question. Thank you so much for putting your heart out there, your real struggles, your real questions, your your life. This is so close to you. It's a it's a intimate reality and mm-hmm. honored that you would put it out to us to address it. And I hope we can give you some food for thought. Number one, I do believe your trouble, your troubled conscience here is appropriate. When we take the powers of life into our own hands, we are playing God. It is a sign that your conscience is functioning correctly when it says something ain't right here. Mm -hmm. That said, it is possible, even if one has had a sterilization, it is possible to be absolved of that sin if one really repents of it and engage in the marital act with a clear conscience, but only through repentance, right? And you could have a marriage where maybe one repents and the other does not. Uh, One could be guilty of a contraceptive approach to the sexual act while the other spouse is not. Uh, That's a case as well, but let me say this. There is no unforgivable sin except the refusal to admit sin. The only unforgivable sin is the refusal to repent of the sin we've committed. Jesus himself calls that the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Why the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit? Because as the priest says in the words of absolution, the Holy Spirit was sent among us for the forgiveness of sins. When we refuse to repent of our sin, we're blaspheming the purpose of the Holy Spirit among us. So, by all means, go to confession. Your guilty conscience is telling you something is not right. Follow that conscience and go to confession. Confess the sin of sterilization, work out your penance, and as far as the East is from the West, so is your sin from you. Now, that said, we also have to speak about reparation for sin. This is a reality. For example, reparation means to repair what has been damaged, right? Mm-hmm. If you break your, your uh, neighbor's window uh, by being careless, you know, you th- whatever, however it might happen, you break his window and you say, I'm sorry, but you don't fix his window, are you really sorry? Well, maybe it's a million-dollar stained glass window, and you don't have the funds or the ability to fix it. Okay, then do something else for him. You know, show your reparation in some other way. Mow his lawn for a year or something. Whatever. I'm just making this up. But you know what I'm getting at. Uh, What we have done when we sterilize ourselves with a vasectomy or a tubal ligation is we're not not only guilty of a, a contraceptive act we are guilty of mutilating the body. We are mutilating the body. We are working against the health and functioning of the body. Medicine and technology is right and good and appropriate in as much as we use it to to work towards the health of the body, towards its proper functioning. If someone is blind and medicine and technology can give that person sight, boom, good direction. We're right use. But if we use medicine and technology to, to blind someone, We're mutilating the body. When we use medicine or technology to render the body sterile, 
we are acting against its proper functioning. We are acting against its health. We can repent of the sin of contraception uh, that's involved in sterilization, but we also should, if we are able, make reparation, pursue a vasectomy reversal in this case. Uh, this is possible. There is a doctor I know of in Texas, a Catholic doctor, who in reparation for doing vasectomies, mm. now has dedicated his medical practice to doing vasectomy reversals at cost. Mm. What a beautiful example in his own life for his own sin of reparation. And he is making reparation for those who have had vasectomies as easy as possible by doing it at cost. So uh, we'll put a link in our show notes to that doctor. I'll look him up online and we'll put him in the, the show notes. Uh, I'd suggest you you look him up and, and make use of his services. And if you can't afford even at cost what the reversal would be, then uh, send us an email at our contact info at the Theology of the Body Institute, and I will find a donor uh, on your behalf to, to cover those costs. I guess that also still leaves open the original question, which is, is it, is it wrong to be uh, maritally intimate um, after a vasectomy? Say you have gone to confession and received absolution. Um, you know, is that, is that intimacy, does it remain sinful in it each you know, occasion? Not if one has repented and is sincere mm -hmm. in the repentance. Uh, the real evil is the moral evil. Uh, the physical evil still remains. Mm -hmm. The person still has the vasectomy. But the moral evil is gone. And it's the moral evil that is the real damage to the intimacy of spouses. But again, uh, if one can repair what has been damaged, we should. If I chop off my arm... And then I come to my senses and I realize I shouldn't have done that. I can't restore my arm. It's gone. Um, if it were had been kept in some freezer or something, it could be sewed back on. Well, maybe I should look into that. Well, we can. We really can get a vasectomy reversal mm -hmm. or the reversal of a tubal ligation. That's a real possibility. There may be obstacles to it, financial obstacles otherwise. But that's why I'm saying I'd be willing for this couple to remove those obstacles, mm. uh, to pursue that. And I know of men who even past uh, childbearing years of their wife will get a vasectomy reversal to restore their own integrity. Mm. Uh, I, think that's, I, I, th I think that's the right path to pursue. Mm -hmm. it, in as much as it is possible, I would say it that way, in as much as it is possible, it is the right path to pursue. You know, we've talked sometimes about the marital embrace as as a source of grace and even as a, a prayer of the couple. Yes. And I just find myself wanting to uh, encourage couples who are in this situation to trust in the Lord's mercy that Amen. he Amen. really, truly wants to give you grace in your union, even in the imperfect state in which you come together and in the time when it hasn't been reversed if, or you know that that there is a grace he wants to give you and if you i have done this myself to approach our union with a specific grace that i'm asking the lord mm. to give us mm. as a couple 
and a, a very specific grace that you can ask for is for the Lord to heal your hearts from the injury of the fear that you went through at the time of that baby's birth, the injury of those who pressured you to act against your conscience, mm. the injury of being far from family, all of those things that are sort of wounds in your story. If you can ask the Lord to pour grace on all of those mm. things in your hearts as you come together and, and remind yourself of his mercy, because it's not that you've earned this grace from him it's that he loves you so much and wants to bring healing to the whole story of your marriage wendy that is an oil poured out i just feel the oil of god's grace through your words so important Uh, yes what she shared points to those wounds in their history and to make of them their marital union itself a prayer for the healing of those wounds and I don't know if your husband is open to the reversal. Maybe he's not. But you could make your union, even if he's not open. Maybe he hasn't even repented. Maybe he doesn't want to repent. But you could make your union a prayer for the softening and healing of his heart in that regard. Wow. Wow. We're so grateful for you, our faithful listeners. If you've been blessed by this episode, hit that share button. Share it with someone who needs to hear what you have heard in this episode. We ask you to consider prayerfully becoming a patron of the work of the Theology of the Body Institute. You can click the link in the show notes to learn more. Join a global community of men and women who are patrons of this work, who are also learning, living, and sharing this Theology of the Body with others. Until our next episode, our prayer for you is that you would know deep in your bones, in the beautiful mess of your life, just as it is, that you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.